I think the thing about hard dinners or like hard to cook dinners, I have a lot of steps that bothers me the most is that there's so many dishes. And then also it's so much time for a mediocre output, you know? I'm not a professional chef. It doesn't always turn out well. <laughs> well, the more you cook something to you get exposed to it and it doesn't taste as good. Mm. I don't know. I think I'm just not very good. <laughs> That's why I got practice. Yeah, I guess. I can't always make you cook dinner. <laughs> you can try, though. I will try. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing chapter... I don't three. Even, this is chapter three, part two. We kind of stopped in the middle and had a very unfortunate illness. Yes. <laughs> right in between uh, part one and part two. So we're back. We're uh, doing all right. I'm yeah. recovering. Yeah, I got sick first um, and Luke followed a few days after. So mm -hmm. I got better. So I'm doing great. I just have some allergies, but like <laughs> Luke is still a little bit struggling, but we're all good. We drank lots of fluids, had soup a lot. We're miserable for a couple of days. We're good. <laughs> the classic. All right. Well, we're going to have to get back into the swing of things here. We left off with Ronica Vestrit. She is kind of alone in her thoughts on the bedside, at the bedside of Efren Vestrit. And we were talking a little bit about Rach and how, you know, that came about and the little hypocrisies of the old traders and the societal structure of Bingtown. And we left off with Rach coming in to inform Ronica that Devad Restart was there at their uh, estate looking to speak with Efren. Right. Um, it should also be mentioned that Efren is on his deathbed. So he, everybody knows, including Efren and Ronica, that he is dying. And that is a big hardship that is fueling the struggles at home. And we have Rach, who is not in name, but in basically in practice, a slave who is moody and <laughs> and Ronica, who does not appreciate the attitude. But she also does not appreciate Devad coming to visit without any prior notice. Um, she is pretty tired at this point and doesn't really want to talk to him, but it's rude to turn him away. So she, you know, tells Rach to tell him to get go to the sitting room. Mm -hmm. But it's too late. Devad is already there. Well, she asked tartly of Rach when she just stood there. Devad is here to see you, lady, Rach mumbled. Traitor restart, you mean, Ronica corrected her. Rach bobbed her head in silent acknowledgement. Ronica set her teeth, then gave it up. I'll see him in the sitting room, she instructed Rach, and then followed the girl's sullen eyes to where Devad already stood in the door. As always, he was immaculately groomed, and as always, everything about his clothes was subtly wrong. 
His leggings bagged slightly at the knees, and the embroidered doublet he wore was laced just tightly enough that he had spoiled the lines of it. It made his modest belly seem a bulging pot. He had oiled his dark hair into ringlets, but most of the curl had fallen from them, so it hung in greasy locks. Even if the curl had stayed, it was a style more suited to a much younger man. Somewhere, Ronica found the aplomb to smile back at him as she set down her pen and shut her account book. She hoped the ink was dry. She started to rise, but Devad motioned her to stay as she was. Another small gesture from him sent Rach scurrying from the room as Devad advanced to Efren's bedside. So, we get a description of Devad right there. The first time we met him was in Paragon's chapter, and we he had his eyes closed the whole time. So Yeah, so we didn't really get a descriptor. Yes, he is definitely a man past his prime, struggling to hold on to his youth, as Ronica describes him, basically. For different reasons, apparently his wife that he lost in the blood plague kind of kept him together and presentable, and it was very (laughs) obvious when she passed away how the house fell from favor and he kind of lost it. So He is not very a... He's part of an old trader family, but he's very tactless and not very aware of social standards, which is, as we discussed earlier, is Ronica's forte right? and her bread and butter and all about that and the traditions and the way things are supposed to be done. So he kind of grinds her gears quite a bit. Yeah. And I think part of that is also that we've talked a little bit about how Devad is one of the early traders to stop with tradition so to speak he has been talking to the new traders he has been making deals with them and that's kind of taboo and everybody really knows about it and so he's also lost favor from the old traders in that sense but he kind of gets away with it people kind of seem to give him a pass for taboo things that he seems to do mostly because he is alone and lost his family to the blood plague But also, I think, because he seems so inept in every social situation that people just don't seem to know how to handle him. They don't seem to have a live ship either. The Rostard family, so. At least that we know of. So, Devad is now in Efren's sick room, which Ronica is not very pleased about. And, of course, conversation immediately goes to Efren, saying, how is he things like that, and Veronica's in her mind saying Devad meant well, she was sure, how he had managed to grow up in one of Bingtown's old trader families and still have such a hazy idea of good manners she would never know. Without invitation, he drew up a chair to sit on the other side of Efren's bed. But Efren is not stirring, she's kind of wincing at the noise, but... Right. I do wonder if part of the manners that seem to evade Devad are not caught on to because they're all kind of silent rules. They're not really something that I think a lot of people get taught. I mean, Ronica seems to teach her children out loud the rules, but some parents don't teach that way. And also, Ronica thinks that she's good at social situations and being polite from her point of view. We don't know if maybe... This is how everybody acts and 
I, I would doubt it because then she wouldn't feel as off put by it, I'm sure. But it just is really hard to tell, like, what's a real rule that's social etiquette and what's something that is a rule in Veronica's mind because she just thinks that that's the way it is. And it's really <laughs> just like she did grow up in an old trader family and then is ahead of another one. So I feel like she has a pretty good grasp on what that social etiquette is. And Devad does seem to be kind of an outcast right. in those terms. So from our touch points in the book so far, I am, I'm apt to take her at her face value and, and okay, what yeah. she says is true. Definitely. No, but I do think it is good to note that like, these are mostly unspoken rules that he is breaking. He, there's nothing rude about asking about a sick person or visiting a sick, sick person's house, but it is like underlyingly rude <laughs> to do that because obviously you don't want to put burden on sick people. And also maybe a sick person doesn't want you to watch them sleep. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. I just think I find it very interesting that Devad is never rude in anything that he says Per se, he just doesn't seem to quite mm. grab. I mean, <laughs> I think I don't think he's like not so far. giving jabs to people. You oh, know what no, I mean? Like no, but he is rude in a good mannered way, right? In good meaning way, true. <laughs> a well meaning way. So they make some small talk. Devad gestures towards the books, asks how they're going. Ronica kind of deflects and says. No better or worse than any other families, I'm sure. She kind of is trying to direct the conversation back to, you know, her strict standard of, okay, small talk about the person themselves. How are you today? And Tavad says he's well, but like immediately goes into, oh, I just came from this, you know, this other person's feast. Really knows how to put it on, but it was a lot of spice and everything like that. He's <laughs> yeah, just the food kinda... wasn't that good, even though it was free. I mean, yeah. he obviously can't taste the food. He's like an old gossip. <laughs> Which, to be fair, Ronica and Devad go way back. They're they're friends. Um, they have been friends for a while, so yeah, I'm sure this is not how he talks to everybody. Maybe it is. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Veronica is trying to get the conversation away from Efren's sick room and their bedroom. And Deva just kind of won't have it. And he's just politely refuses. He's completely oblivious to her gestures and her, her trying to nudge him out of the way. Basically, hey, can we take this over here? He's like, oh, no, no, thank you. I'm, I'm good where I am. <laughs> right. Um, also, she's trying to figure out kind of why he's here and the quickest way to get him to leave. Yes. So she's kind of trying to say, is there something that you needed to tell him? Like, clearly he's asleep so I can take the message to which Devad responds that he would rather not deal with the wife in this matter, that he would prefer to talk to Efren directly, um, that it is something that would affect their finances. And... He just kind of responds, certainly, certainly. All Bingtown knows you hold his purse strings and his trust, I might add, of course. He nodded jovially, jovially at her as if this were a high compliment. The offer Ronica pushed. Right. And this is after Ronica had said that she would be sure to relate it to Efron before making a decision. So there is still that little faux pas of the kind of jab 
of like, oh, this is man's world. And then, oh, I forgot you're holding your man's purse. Everybody knows that. And Ronica having to navigate through that to try to get through a talker who isn't talking about the point. So (laughs) she just pushes on asking what the deal is. Um, And the deal is coming from Fulleron, which is the place where he, the home that he got the feast at that was too heavily spiced um, where he just came from. And he's trying to broker a deal as the go-between man with Fulleron and the Vastrets. Yes. His Fulleron's offer is to buy the bottom lands. And Ronica is extremely shocked because those part of the lands of the Vestret holding are the original grant lands of the Vestret family. And Devad, he, he plays his part very, very well. He comes off as like a bumbling fool, but he's extremely good at deflecting to different things. And Amelia's like, oh, well, yeah, 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 yeah. You and I both know that. But Fulleron is a newcomer, you know, he, he doesn't know that. So I'm just relaying the message, you know, don't get mad at me. Right. And it seems as though these lands are really precious because they came from the original satrap. This is what makes a trader. This is something that is kind of like a show of wealth. Obviously, there are other lands that the Vestrit own, and it's yes. not part of the original lands. Yeah, so there's a there's a big paragraph here that is exposition for the reader just to kind of drive home the point. And I don't think, like, in a normal conversation, she'd be relaying this to Devad because Devad is also part of an old trader family. But it's her saying, understand, the granting of those lands was what made the Vestrit family a trader family. They were part of the Satrap's agreement with the traders, 200 luffers of good land to any family willing to go north and settle on the cursed shores, to brave the dangers of life near the Rainwild River. There were few enough willing to go in those days. All know the strangeness flows down the Rainwild River as swiftly as the waters. Those bottom lands and a share of the, uh, in the monopoly on the trade goods in the, of the Rainwild River are what, the Vestrits, are what make the Vestrits a trader family. Can you seriously think any trader family would sell off their grant lands? She was angry now. You needn't give me a history lesson, Ronica Vestrit, David rebuked her mildly. He helped himself to another biscuit. Need I remind you that my family came here in the same expedition? The Restarts are as much traders as the Vestrits. I know what those lands mean. Then how could you even bring an offer here? She demanded hotly. Because half of Bingtown knows how desperate things have become for you. So he goes into kind of an explanation now from an outsider's point of view of how the Vestrits look. Right. And basically, they have a lot of land and not enough people to work the land. So Fulleron does have people that can work the land and would be able to actually get something to produce from the land. And also, Devad does mention that having that much more land would give him enough to get a seat on the Bingtown Council, Fulleron. Right. So it seems as though to be on the council, you have to have a certain amount of land, which is really interesting because it's apparently over the 200, uh, what did they call it? Leffers. 200 leffers. I want to say acres every time. I know that's not the word that she's using, but I'm so curious as to what that is like size-wise, but it's a lot, and apparently not all that you need to be on this 
but it is what Fulleron needs if he's going to be on the council. And that's a big deal because they don't really want new people on the council making laws. Yeah, so Devad is like saying, oh, he probably would take any land that you would have to sell. Obviously, you need the money, so just sell him your wheat fields. You can't work those anyways. And Ronica, this is what we were kind of talking about last episode, where Ronica does see to the heart of things and does look forward in time of what decisions mean right and what happens afterwards so she immediately comes back with and he can gain a seat on bingtown council so he can vote to bring slaves to bingtown and work the lands i've sold him with slaves and sell the grain he grows cheaper than i can compete with or you for that matter or any other honest trader david restart use your mind this offer not only asks me to betray the vestrit family but all of us We've enough greedy little merchants on the Bingtown Council already. The old trader council is barely able to keep them in check. I shan't be the one to sell land and a council seat to another latecomer upstart. Devad started to speak and then visibly controlled himself. He folded his small hands on his lap. It's going to happen, Ronica. She heard true regret in his voice. The days of the old traders are fading. The wars and the pirates into us too deeply. And now that the wars are mostly over, these merchants have come swarming over us like fees on a d- fleas on a dying rabbit. They'll suck us dry. We need their money in order to recover, so they force us to sell cheap what cost us so dear in blood and children. For a moment, his voice faltered. Ronica suddenly recalled that the year of the blood plague had carried off all his children as well as left him a widower. He had never re- remarried. I think this is really interesting because it kind of gets to the heart of the problem that Ronica isn't the only old trader family struggling. Like she's not the only one in this position and we don't know what that looks like for the other trader families. They seem to be a little bit better off because they all mostly trade up the river, which her family does not. So that gives them a little bit more income. But as for the goods of the land, that's hitting everybody hard. They're, we're learning just how far-reaching the effects were of the Red Ship War of the last book series, that because this big trading center could not buy products or sell, for that matter, they lost several years of income. And now with people who are willing uh, willing to use slaves that are already doing that in town, which is something that Ronica kind of looks over, I would think, they are driving prices lower than the trader families who are not using slave labor can accommodate with. Yeah. And as Ronica even mentions earlier in the chapter that we covered last episode, the holdings that they have have been doing as good as they have in the past. It's just with that cheap labor, they can't compete. Right. They can't get the same profits. They can't sell to the same people because they're, other people can buy it cheaper. So it kind of creates a spiral for all the traders here. These newcomers are coming in with their cheaper labor, their cheaper goods. They're buying up more land because they're coming with fresh money as well. And they're driving the old traders out because the old traders needed a few years to recover and they just don't have it. Right. And for the old traders, this is 
obviously scary because that means a change in the way of life. I think it's also scary because they were once the aristocrat, uh, aristocrats, aristocrats. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Not the Disney movie. No. <laughs> Everybody wants to be a cat. <laughs> They were once the top dogs and the aristocrats, and now these newcomers are coming in and kind of taking over that title. And that would be really scary to go from having generational wealth to kind of not knowing if your next generations will be able to enjoy the same things that you did. It would be really hard to let go of that way of life. But... Ronica is trying to say, you know, like, I don't care how we're, how much we're struggling. I can't sell the land because of what it will mean later. So she's looking ahead and Devad really doesn't understand this hang up because it's going to happen. Whether it's her selling the land or someone later selling the land, somebody's going to eventually need the money enough to where they just sell it. Yeah. He's, he's already gone off the deep end of despair and in a different way is looking more forward than Ronica is. Right. Because Devad is completely correct. Something is going to change no matter what. It's it's coming. It's not exactly what Ronica fears and Devad is expecting. Right. Because way wilder things start to happen than anyone <laughs> could have guessed. But the way it's going, it is going to change and someone is going to give. Yeah. And Devad mentions that he goes on to say that things are changing and the people who will survive the changes are those of us that adapt. That, yes, the change is scary, but we have to think of our ancestors and how when they came here, the reason that they survived is because they adapted, is because they were willing to do hard things and make it work. And we've become weak and lazy because we've had it so good for so long that that we are afraid of the adaption that we've become known for. So we have to like bring that back. That's what traders are known for being adaptable. And that's just not true anymore. And so we need to change with the times, which I mean, I think on the surface, the sentiment is good and like a good way to look at things of like time is ever changing. Everybody should try to be adaptable to new times. Um, not so great because in this instant, Devad is talking about allowing slavery. So like <laughs> not the best adaption, like not all adaption needs to be adapted to, you know? Right. <laughs> but on the whole, Devad's point is that the old way of doing things is done, whether or not that happens today, tomorrow, a year from now, eventually it's coming and you might as well prepare now instead of burying your head in the sand and pretending nothing's going to happen because it just, it has to change. Yeah. And, and Ronica almost agrees with him, but kind of gets angry because he compares the newcomers to the old old traders, the original ones who came and, and claimed everything. And she kind of goes on a rant saying, well, they, you know, risked everything to just claim what they could and, and survived off that. These traders are going to be coming here, doing their business and then summering back in Jamalia. They'll keep their wives and children back in Jamalia. They don't have to have this curse on them. The doom that half our children are born, not quite human. She also takes it a step further by bringing up Devad's wife and how she remembers Devad's wife to be, she was pregnant three times, yet they only had two children, which is 
something that Javad does not appreciate being brought up in that moment, but it is to talk about how everyone who lives here is still dealing with the Rainwild curse. That, like, this entitlement that all of the old traders have comes from generations of suffering of the curse of living here, of the actual price. And these new people are coming to the land, but they're not there to take on the curse or be here forever. They just want the easy money and they just want to take over something that is failing. So she's trying to argue that there is no adapting that. Mm hmm. They just kind of sit there because they both went a little far and Ronica's just feeling sorry for, for them both, for Bingtown, for the future, for everything. Right. For Devad, who lost a wife and two children in a blood plague, and for herself, who has had to deal with the hardships of being an old trader at the moment. She was sorry for all of them. Born in Bingtown to die in Bingtown, and in between to carry on the curse-plagued bargain that for their forebears had struck. Perhaps the worst part of that bargain was that one and all, they had come to love Bingtown and the surrounding green hills and valleys. There was something more, she admitted to herself. There was something in calling oneself a Bingtown trader, and not only braving all the strangeness that came down the Rainwild River, but claiming it for one's own. The first traders had tried to establish their settlement at the mouth of the Rainwild River itself. They had built their homes on the river's edge, using the roots of the stilt trees as foundations for their cottages, and stringing bridges from home to home. The rising and falling river had rushed by beneath their floors, and the wild storm winds had rocked their tree houses at night. Sometimes the very earth itself would heave and tremble, and then the river might suddenly run milky white and deadly for a day or a month. For two years the settlers had abided there, despite insects and fevers in the swift river that devoured anything that fell into it. Yet it had not been those hardships, but the strangeness that had finally driven them away. The little company of traders had been pushed south by de death and disease and the odd panics that might strike a woman as she needed the bread. The furies of self-destruction that could come upon a man gathering wood and send him leaping into the river. Of 307 households that had been the original traders, 62 families had survived that first three years. She describes also that even now there's a string of settlements kind of going further and further south until they finally found where Bingtown is now. Right. I kind of want to talk about that passage a little bit because it, it does tie into the other traders' towns. Right. Is very, very reminiscent of how the Rainwild traders still live. And I'm curious if that 62 families is all of the families that came down to found Bingtown or if they further split. Because the first three years, 62 families survived. But we know some of them stayed right. in the Rainwild. Yeah, like the Cuprises that are yep. will meet coming up. And I don't know. I think it's really interesting. I would assume 62 is like all of them together. I would assume so too. Um, including the ones that decide to stay up the river. But I mean, that's a lot of loss. Yeah. That's 362 is one fifth. Yeah. So one -fifth surviving. I kind of hope 
it is just the ones who didn't want to stay in the rain wild that more people survived. But I have a feeling that that's everybody together. I think it's also interesting to talk about how the reasoning, the like part of the curse, so to speak, is that people get these random panics and that they freak out and self-destruct and like men are jumping into the the milky white river that kills them. And I was wondering, do you have any ideas on what this is? I think it's still the remnants of the elderling cities and the dragons who are cocooned there. Uh, it just seems to be probably driven mad from the voices. Yeah. That's what I would assume at least. I was wondering if it was like people accidentally walking in the memories, I think is what they call it in this culture where they're with the skill memories. And if like, it's not that they want to self-destruct, it's that they're following something that's no longer there or seeing something that is no longer there that used to be. Um, but I don't know. Uh, it would be scary though. They have no idea what's going on. They don't know why they're all reacting this way. And I think another thing to talk about, too, real quick, is um, something we kind of brushed over. And just that not all of the children are born human, that there are some creatures that are born. And I think yes. that's really interesting that the people of Bingtown kill any baby that doesn't look human, fully human, because you would think that they would be able to send them up well, the river. They do. They do. Um, it's commonly said that they like kill all of them. Right. But yeah. like if they're a viable child, they do send them off. There's even, there, there seems to be kind of a spectrum or a range of what would be a viable child. Right. So, but I believe it is mentioned a couple times that like they by the rainwild traders that they've accepted children, children in. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I guess I don't remember that part. All I was thinking was like, I mean, I know rainwild people also kill babies that are too like dragon esque, but like their standard is more like it's all creature, no human. And I feel like a, a trader's family would be like, there are some scales and like, <laughs> I don't know. None of it's good. It's all like living beings that like, I don't know. I don't love that, but I feel like they would have early on, they would have tried to keep them alive and they probably just weren't viable or weren't fully formed because they're obviously mutated. Right. I don't know if I could say that they did try it because there's Tymera in the later series who people are upset that she's still alive because of how creature like she is. And she's fine. Like, she's living her best life. And so then I'm like, okay, so did you guys literally never try to raise a <laughs> child, like, to see if they would live? Or did you just decide they're too weird looking? Because, like, that's not great. <laughs> but either way, there is a lot going on. And this is the price that the original traders are paying that makes them so unique and steadfast, I guess. Yeah. So they, Ronica and Devad, kind of apologize to each other, but 
Devad's kind of like, well, you know, you're not speaking wrong because what you say is true. Like the, the newcomers gossip about all of this stuff, even though we don't really talk about it amongst each other. Right. They're not going to bring their wives and kids. And he talks about how he respects the three ship immigrants because even though they told them the price of staying, they stayed and they came willing to work and, and do everything like that. And Ronica kind of cuts in like, well, the satrap is as much to blame as the newcomers are. You know, he broke our word of, he broke the word of his forebear and he's giving all these new land grants out and they kind of have a conversation of who's to blame for, for all the, the problems coming in. Right. And I think it is really interesting that we get to see that David actually, or Devad actually doesn't like these new traders. He's working with them and he yeah. like clearly wants to make things work, but he in this moment is able to like recognize the bad that they bring and just that all they're doing is trying to take seats on the council so they can get more money and then they're going to leave and retire in their homes in other places. Yeah. This isn't once great. Once again, we get a, a paragraph here of Devad's reasoning. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know. I know all of these issues, Ronica, but there's not but bitterness in chewing these thoughts again. And there is no good in pretending that things will go back to how they once were. They will not. This is but the first wave of change. We can either ride over the wave or be swamped by it. Don't you think the satrap will sell the other grants of lands once it is seen that these newcomers prosper? More will come. The only way to deal with them is to adapt to them, learn from them if we must, and take up their ways where we must. And Ephron wakes up, says I. Ephron's voice was like a rusted hinge breaking free. We can learn to like slavery so well that we do not care when our grandchildren may become slaves because of a year's debts mounting too high. And as for the sea serpents that the slave ships lure into our waters, chumming them along with the bodies they throw overboard, well, we can welcome them right into Trader Bay and never need the boneyard again. It was a long speech for a sick man. He stopped to breathe. At the first sign of his awakening, Ronica had risen to fetch the poppy milk. She drew the stopper from the heavy brown bottle, but Efren slowly shook his head. Not yet, he told her. He breathed for a moment before he repeated, not just yet. He turned his weary gaze to Devad, whose tactless dismay at Efren's weakness was writ large on his face. Efren gave a feeble cough. Devad gives a feeble attempt to, you know, be well-meaning and say, oh yeah, you look, you look good. <laughs> good to see you up. Yeah. <laughs> and then Efren in doing something that only a truly terminally ill person can is rude and, and ignores him. Ignores him. <laughs> <laughs> it's really big. It's a important thing that Efren has said this. I think it's good to remind Devad that yes, like, like slavery is bad. It's going to be bad. And if we allow it now, that's allowing the, chance that our grandchildren become slaves right. and like i don't want anybody in my family to be a slave so let's not have slavery which like great that's amazing i'm glad that he is not pro-slavery <laughs> <laughs> um and like like i said it is hard because devad's points of like we should try to adapt where we can and learn from them is a good point and like obviously efren is taking the most 
drastic part of adaption and saying, yeah, sure, let's do that. Um, that won't end bad sarcasm, <laughs> but you know, it's, it is a good point. Like, I think it's good to have both there of like, oh, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. reasonable, but like not always. And we have this argument. We have Efren not really caring that he's being rude and kind of just like, this needs to be shut down now. And I'm not going to take my medicine to fall asleep because I need to make sure that I impart onto my wife that like do anything you can to not have to let slavery happen. Right. Let's not be the reason. (laughs) And so he does ignore Devad and then focuses on Ronica and asks news of the vivacia. Ronica shook her head reluctantly as she set the poppy milk down. But she should not be much longer. We have had word from the monastery that Wintrow is on his way home to us. Efren only turned his head slowly against the pillow. What will he do? Look solemn and beg an offering for his monastery before he leaves? I gave up on that boy when his mother sacrificed him to Saw. Efren closed his eyes and breathed for a time. He did not open his eyes before he spoke again. Damn that Kyle. He should have been back weeks ago. Unless he's taken her to the bottom. And Althea too. I knew I should have put the ship in Brashen's hands. Kyle's a good enough captain, but it takes a traitor blood to truly feel the ways of a live ship. Veronica felt the blush rise in her cheeks. It shamed her to have her husband speak so of their son-in-law in Devad's presence. Are you hungry, Efren, or thirsty? She asked to change the subject. Neither, he coughed. I'm dying, and I'd like my damn ship here so I can die in her decks and quicken her so that my whole damn life won't have been for nothing. That's not much to ask for, is it? That the dream that I was born to fulfill should be played out that I've, as I've always planned it? He took a ragged breath. The poppy, Ronica, the poppy now. So he takes his medicine, and already his eyes are wandering, and he looks over at Devad, but is speaking to Ronica still. Don't sell anything, my love. Bide your time as best you can. Let me die. Let me but die in the decks of my ship and I'll see the vivacia serves you well. She and I will cut the waves as no ship ever has before, swift and true. You'll lack for nothing, Ronica, I promise you. Just stay your course, and all will go well. Hold your course, he repeated, and drifted off to sleep. So, I do feel really bad for Ronica in this moment. Efren is dying, Obviously, we all know that. <laughs> We've known that the whole chapter. But I think seeing Efren is basically only holding on because he wants to die on his ship. Like, that's the only thing keeping him going. That's really rough. Like, she loves her husband. And I think I can't imagine having married, been married for like 30 years and your husband's dying. And then like the only thing he cares to talk about is his ship and not you and not to like be in the moment with you. And like, obviously the per he's dying. Like it's not really on him to comfort Ronica fully, but it does feel really bad that he can't even be like, I'll miss you. It's like, I miss my ship and I wish she was here now so I could die now. <laughs> like, I just, Oh, it makes it does really make me feel bad for Ronica because I think even knowing that like this way he gets to live on, this is his plan, like it would still kind of hurt my feelings personally. So I feel bad for Ronica in this. And not only that, 
but she doesn't get this moment alone. Like her husband is barely ever conscious. And the only, the only time he's been conscious since we've seen him in this chapter, he is talking about his ship and also embarrassing her in front of Devad. And Devad's going to be there in a couple months and Efren isn't. And so it's like probably really frustrating to like, oh no, now I have to worry about what Devad's going to tell other people about this. And people saw us quarreling and I don't know. I just think that that would be really hard. And I mean, it's great that Efren is like, you know, like don't sell, like keep, uh, keep up your hope. We're going to be fine. It's going to be okay. But the problem with that is that it isn't going to be okay if they stay the way things are. And even with the live ship quickening, that's not enough to fix the problem at this point. And so like, it's great that he's reassuring her and she wasn't really wanting to sell land anyway, but like, it's great that he's reassuring her. I just feel bad because it's like, okay, well, how much longer can they actually feasibly hold on? Cause it's great to, hold your morals high and be all high and mighty, but he has no idea what's going on. And I guess he has more idea now because he has been looking over the books for Ronica or after Ronica this year. But I just, I don't know. I feel like that's really lofty to be like, well, as soon as the ship quickens, it'll be fine. Live ships are pretty incredible. That's true. They move like almost twice as fast as any other ship, apparently. So <laughs> yeah, get some more trading done, make some more profits. She is reaching for her handkerchief to wipe away her tears, sniffing loudly. Devad has the grace, apparently, to look embarrassed for this, even though he's not moving or not, you know, averting his gaze or anything. And abruptly he's like, oh, I should be going. <laughs> Must you? Ronica heard herself replying reflexively. She found the discipline appropriate for her position. Thank you so much for dropping in. Let me at least walk you to the door, she added, before Devad could change his mind about leaving. Right. And so um, escorts him out. Yeah. Also, something that um, was skipped over a little bit is that she tries to say that the reason she's crying is because uh, all he cares about is his ship. He's awake for three seconds. And that's all he wants to talk about. And she knows that it's weird, but it feels easier to pretend like the reason she's crying isn't because the person that she loves is dying, but because he would bring up the ship. And that's not at all what it is. It's that she has yeah. to deal with the imminent death of her husband. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that was really interesting that like she recognizes that like it's silly and spiteful and stupid to be like, oh, this is just about the ship, but it isn't. And it, she's just trying to have a little bit of decorum in this situation that is going out of hand. Yeah. And as she is walking Devad out, we get to see the nice side of Devad here and a little bit more insightful side. He says, you're quiet. As she's kind of looking around at the, the dust and the, the lack of care that is taken in like her garden, especially and things like that. And she's like, okay, after Efren dies, maybe I'll have time. And then feels guilty for yeah. thinking that. And then Devad's like, you're quiet. But before she could formulate a polite apology, he added gruffly. But as I recall, when Doral died, there was really nothing left to talk about to anyone. He turned to her as they reached the great white door and surprised her by taking both her hands in his. 
If there is anything I can do, and I truly mean anything, will you let me know? His hands were damp and sweaty. His breath smelled of his overspiced lunch, but the worst part was the absolute sincerity in his eyes. She knew he was her friend, but at the moment all she could see what was she might become. When Doral had been alive, Devot had been a powerful man in Bingtown, a sharp trader, well-dressed and prosperous, hosting balls at his great house, flourishing not only in business but socially. Now his great house was only a collection of dusty, ill-kempt rooms presided over by unsupervised and dishonest servants. Ronica knew that she and Efren were one of the few couples that still included Devad when they issued invitations to balls or dinners. When Efren was gone, would she be like Devad, a social leftover, a widow too old to court and too young to seat in a quiet corner? Her fear came out as a sudden bitterness. Anything, Devad? Well, you could always pay off my debts, harvest my fields, and find a suitable husband for Althea. She heard her own words in a sort of horror and watched Devad's eyes widen so far they almost bulged at her. Abruptly, she pulled her hands free of his moist clasp. I'm sorry, Devad, she said sincerely. I don't know what possessed me to. Never mind, he interrupted her hastily. You're talking to the man who burned his wife's portrait, simply so I wouldn't have to look at what I couldn't see. At times like these, one says and does things that... Never mind, Ronica. And I did truly mean anything. I'm your friend, and I'll see what I can do to help you. And he walks away. So it is, you know, true friendship and sympathy that he can muster up, even if he is, you know, empty-eyed and kind of tactless most of the time. Right. And I think it's good to see this part of Devad because we don't really get to see a reason why people liked him or why he is still friends with the Vestrits. And except for, I think this moment, there might be a few other small ones, but I think this is a really good moment to see that like there is clearly years of friendship underneath this troubling time and things are going weirdly right now, but he clearly cares about this family. And even if he is kind of quirky and like, doesn't quite know how to express that in appropriate ways, he is just trying to be helpful. And I truly think that when he came with the offer, like he knew that it wouldn't be a great thing to ask of them to sell this land. And he knew it'd be a hard sell, but I think he did it with the intention of like, I'm going to give Ronica the first opportunity. Like maybe she needs this more. And like, I think it's (laughs) true effort, but (laughs) I think it is coming from a good place. Like I think his heart is in the right place, but just morally, I think they're just on two different sides. They just don't, Like they have different ideas of what is acceptable. And maybe if it was the other way around, it would be Ronica who had more questionable morals, but Devad has been on the outside of society anyway, and he's losing money. So he might as well, (laughs) he might as well kind of join the new traders in their endeavors. It's lucrative. So I don't know. It is good to see that side of Devad, um, mostly because I don't like Devad in most cases. I do kind of feel sorry for him. I think he's more adept than he lets on. I think he uses his image of being weird to push past people's guards to be able to, like, get deals done. But I do also think he probably is just a little bit weird anyway. (laughs) True. 
So Ronica looks out over Bingtown for the first time in a long time. As she's watching Devad walk down the driveway. And kind of thinks about the city itself and how great it is and how her mother and grandmother took pride in telling her that, you know, it's not just hacked out of wilderness. We have straight, flat streets. We have clear streets where the offals in the alleyways that get cleaned regularly. You know, this is, this is an actual city right? with shops and it, it can compare to other big cities out there. Yeah. They, she even talks about how like there's a plumbing system. <laughs> like people don't just throw their chamber pots out into the street. There is like a drainage system at like a sewer <laughs> going on and that it's done behind the shops so that it's not in the streets that you walk down to buy things. We also know that there is glass in the windows, which is pretty big because Buckkeep does not have glass. So <laughs> Apparently it doesn't have glass. <laughs> I kind of doubt that. I don't know. They could just have open windows. <laughs> but she talks about these things that have made her proud to live here and then goes into how things are different though it's changed and now she would never know if bingtown was truly a jewel as you know her mother and grandmother and efren said because efren wouldn't be there to take her anywhere else to compare right so she'll never get to leave yeah so she's looking around at the surrounding hills and and realizes like you said emma how much has changed Hammersmith Hill, where the oaks had always stood tall and green, now showed a bald pate. She gazed at it in sort of an awe. She had heard that one of the newcomers had claimed land there and was going to use slaves to log it, but never before had she seen a hill so completely stripped of forest. The heat of the day beat down mercilessly on the naked hill. What greenery remained looked scorched and sagging. It was the most shocking change, but it was by no means the only one. To the east, someone had cleared space on a hillside and was building a house. No, Ronica corrected herself, a mansion. It was not just the size of the building that jolted her, but the number of workers employed in its construction. They swarmed over the building site like white-coated ants in the heat of the midday sun. Even as she watched, the timber framework for a wall was hoisted into place and secured. And off to the west, a new road cut an arrow straight path into the hills, she could only glimpse segments of it through the trees, but it was wide and well-traveled. Uneasiness rose in her. Perhaps Devad had been more correct than she sus had suspected. Perhaps the changes that had come to Bingtown were more significant than a mere swelling of population. And if he were right about that, then he might also be correct in saying that the only way to survive this wave of new traders would be to emulate them. She turned away from Bingtown and her uncomfortable thoughts. She had no time to think of such things now. It was all she could do to live with her own disaster and fears. Bingtown would have to take care of itself. And thus ends chapter three. Right. So we get a little bit of a glimpse of Ronica's thoughts of the history of Bingtown and then what is new and can compare the two. So it's, it's not just gradual for her because she's kind of been locked inside for the past year with Efren at his sickbed. So she is seeing a lot of these changes, this kind of industrial revolution and, and huge construction uh, for the first time. Yeah. I think also something that is mentioned earlier that we kind of skipped over is that 
another change is just people where the new people are putting their homes and how there's not really any care to what they're doing when they place the new homes. Like there is a house that went on the top of a hill um, that was the bottom half is owned by an old trader family who makes wine. It used to be the best wine. Uh, makes beer. Beer, And sorry. they have their cattle farm on top of the hill. Yes. And so now the spring is. Yeah. So now the beer doesn't taste good anymore because of all the cow the waste, waste <laughs> that is going down the hill and getting into the crops and the barrels. And so like there are other changes too. And it just, I do feel bad because obviously like the new people coming in aren't really like they don't care about the livelihood of the other people. They're not really trying to be nice about it. And to be fair, I'm sure that is a two way street. Like I'm, I'm sure they didn't come in being horrendous. The traders probably weren't the most welcoming group either, but it is just really sad to see this place that Ronica knew is changing so much. And I also think there's a really interesting commentary here about how we're going to see more change as these books go on. And Ronica is standing here. And instead of thinking of ways to combat some of the bad changes, it's kind of pushed aside because she has more important personal things to worry about. I mean, that's fair. I do the same thing. Yeah, no, it's definitely. But I think it's really interesting to think about how sometimes like throughout history, like bad things happen because there was wiggle room of so many people having personal problems that they have to deal with that were more important that like they're able to fester and grow to a point that's harder to cut off. So I thought that was really interesting to see that in action because Ronica isn't the only one with hardships and hard things happening to her. I mean, it kind of seems like at this very moment she has the worst of it because her spouse is dying and I don't think anybody else is dying, (laughs) Right, but other people are also probably struggling with their own affairs that takes precedent over worrying about the lasting changes that could be made that are negative. So it's been very interesting to see things through Ronica's perspective to kind of get a little bit more of a sympathetic view of what she's going through and what Devad is going through um, while also knowing that like ultimately <laughs> Devad's thing that he's, advocating for is bringing slavery to the town and her deal is that she's kind of hypocritical (laughs) but i don't know i think they're such interesting characters anyway she does pay rach that's true but she is an indentured servant yes so Thank you so much for tuning in this week. If you have any thoughts about, you know, Big Town, the setup here, Ronica, Efren, Devad, anything like that, please let us know. Where it is fitshappy at gmail.com, or you can reach us on any of our social medias at Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Where it is fitshappy for all three of those as well. Don't forget to go on your favorite podcast listening app and rate and review us if possible. Helps us out as well. We look forward to hearing from you guys next week. Okay, so now we're going to talk about some stuff that you guys sent in to us. Um, We're going to start off with a couple emails that we got about Anma. 
So yes, I believe this is from the second chapter, and this is what Althea says is going to be absorbed from Efren is his anima. And we talked about how we don't remember them bringing this up and how it's kind of like... Basically like a a life force thing. Yeah, what is it? Um, And we got a really interesting... Two really interesting emails about it. The first one from Annie, who said that they thought that anima was related to the Latin word anima, which means soul, which does fit with what it kind of seems to be. Um, So thank you, Annie. And then we also got a really interesting message from Bastion, also about anima, about how there's actually another reference to it in the uh, Tawny Man books. Yep. Apparently during a conversation between Fitz and Shade about the skill scrolls. I'm going to read a little bit here about what uh, what exactly Bastion wrote. The passage, the passage itself is from Fool's Errand, and he reads, quote, The scroll further cautioned me to beware of dividing my partner's self-barrier, as I might then diffuse his man- anima. Though Fitz specifically mentions that he does not get what the scroll is saying, and the context doesn't tell much more than it does in live ship traders, it appears anima is a term to describe identity, being, or as Emma suspected, life force. Yeah, so that was really interesting because I truly did not think it was ever mentioned again. I thought it was just a throwaway thing. But it is cool to know that in the next Fitz trilogy, there is a quick little mention. So we'll have to remember to point that out when we get there. Yeah, definitely. So we kind of see a link here to skill itself. And when it's saying, you know, caution and beware of dividing your partner's self barrier as you might diffuse the partner's anima then. It's basically like exactly kind of what I'm picturing in, you know, when they're in the uh, the skill stream and they're like, I got to collect myself, right. center myself yeah. around, grab every little part of me. That's all of your anima kind of being scattered around and you need to grab it to you. Yeah. And so in some weird way, the traders have been putting themselves into the skill river without it being the skill river, it's their boats. So I think that's really cool to think about in that context. There's a mention in there as well about not remembering Althea being as bratty as she was. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we that's got, kind of a running theme. <laughs> yeah, we've got that from a couple people, which is really funny because I think I also did not remember her being bratty. Like I, I thought she was a cool character. I liked her a lot. And then rereading it, it's like, oh my gosh. Like, (laughs) but I do think part of the reason why she is less tolerable on her first, um, appearance in a reread is because we know what's going to happen. So there's less of taking a character for their word like we're not right. we're not stuck with oh this person is a reliable narrator we know which parts of them is not reliable and so it's a little bit easier to see the cracks in logic um, but it is really funny but yeah and, and melissa yeah. kind of agrees with that she yeah. sent in a different email um about a, a couple of various topics and one of them was althea and melissa mentions basically like when she first read through the book she took her at her 
you know, at Althea's word that it was a can-do attitude to help out yeah. and do things well. And why is Kyle yelling at her for, you know, doing chores? But now on a reread and having it pointed out, you can see that it's, you know, not a participatory participatory way of like helping out somebody it's waiting until you're alone and then doing it behind somebody's back because you're a brat yeah (laughs) (laughs) so nobody's alone in that thought (laughs) if you were surprised you found yourself surprised i think we all did um on a read through (laughs) melissa is also mentioning here that she's surprised that we don't like ronica yeah. And I have to say, I, I do like Ronica as a character. I I have similar thoughts to her as I do with Jade. You know, like super interesting character. Great parts about them. Very sketchy parts about other things about them. I don't know. Yeah. Um, obviously, Jade deals a little bit more directly with like sketchy morality things <laughs> veronica just rubs me the wrong way in certain <laughs> in certain areas but she's a very cool character i like her personally yeah. i i don't know i don't want to say that i dislike veronica i think she's fine i think she's an interesting person and an interesting perspective to get i like that we have her as one of our perspectives um because she is so knowledgeable uh it was really interesting melissa makes the comment that she feels as though Ronica is kind of overlooked in her yeah. own life. She she toils really hard and her life is seen as undervalued and looked down upon. Right. And I think that is something really interesting. So that does make her definitely more sympathetic in my eyes. And thinking about that aspect, which is something that I haven't delved into a lot, is that like ultimately Ronica is just trying her best with what's given to her and nobody really appreciates that of her. And she does have to make a lot of hard decisions on her own. And like, I don't know. So I don't think I give her quite enough credit. She's definitely an interesting character. And I wouldn't say that I hate her. I think she's fine. She's just not my top. (laughs) And also for you, like, it's hard to look past to deluding herself to keeping rage and like saying you're against slavery and stuff. Yeah, I think that's... I know that really bothered you in the first chapter we see her. Yes, yeah. I think that's the thing is that like she is very hypocritical and she doesn't know it, which I guess is part of the reasons I don't like Malta and part part of the intolerableness of Althea. Like it obviously runs in the family, but... (laughs) I think it's just really hard because she's the matriarchal figure and... If she could do so much if she stopped caring about decorum and it makes me sad. I feel like I feel bad because of the potential that there is, but she's not living up to the best potential. And I mean, she's doing the best that she can with what she has. And she is definitely underrated. I think she's a really strong character and I do want to try to like see more of that as I read so that it's not as unbearable, but <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think it's totally fair to like her and she does have a really interesting arc. I think she becomes more sympathetic as the books go on. Um, but yeah, no, I don't know. Just not my, my faves, <laughs> but thank you, Melissa, for your kind message and also your interesting thoughts. We really enjoyed thinking about them. Also, thank you, Bastion, for your thoughts. And there's a couple more topics in our emails here. One of them specifically from Jessica. Yes. From Jess. 
And it's talking about Efren's intentions with Althea's future and, and Jess's thoughts on why Efren is probably better than he appears. Yeah, so Jess has a really interesting thought process. Um, the idea is that potentially most of what we hear at Ronica's side is placation on Efren's part. Um, the idea is that like he has said that any man who loves Althea is somebody who would have to love her for who she is. She shouldn't have to change the way she is to get love, which is huge. And then kind of contradicted by the idea that she's going to settle down and become a wife. And so that's where Jess's idea came from that. Like, maybe this is just something he's saying not to rile up his wife about Althea changing. And that maybe his idea was that she would be on the boat because from his perspective, he knows he's dying, but who else would be on the live ship? She's blood related. Yeah. You need, you need somebody of the blood to be on the ship. And obviously Wintro is not going to do it. He's already in this chapter. He said he gave up on Wintro. Right. I mean, Selden is way too young. Malta's not going to go. So his idea is probably that Althea has several more years of being on the boat and hopefully She'll marry a captain. Um, uh, maybe he's hoping that she would get with Brashen. We don't know. <laughs> but I do think it's really interesting because that is a good point. That's a good way to look at it. That like there are some things that don't really match up between his idea of like, oh, she's going to become a wife. There's like plenty of time for her to become a wife and mother and like to settle down the way women normally do. And then also what the reality is of what he's saying of like, she has to be loved for who she is, and he admires his grandmother or great grandmother, who was also wild. Yeah, so. and Amir kind of had an echoing thought in Instagram here. I want to bring that up quick. Amir says it is my opinion, but I don't agree at all on Efren Vestrit with our conversations that he's, you know, is he a good man or not? Ef- uh, Amir thinks that he is a flawed good man who did his absolute best in his whole life. And with Althea, he did his best to give her the best life she could have and probably realized that she'll never be forced to settle down. But it's kind of impossible, so he knows the reality and can't officially say she'll be a lone woman or, like, you know, forced to take a a husband or anything. Right. He was a very nuanced person and new society couldn't accept uh, Althea completely for who she was, but still tried to give her own path in life. So Amir is kind of looking on that same line a little bit of just kind of like he can't outright say like oh yeah you're gonna be captain forever because one ronica wouldn't have it (laughs) right two society probably wouldn't have it either right so it kind of plays into jess's thought process of like this could just be placation Right. No, I think that's definitely a good point. And I like that way of looking at it. It definitely makes him a little bit more likable as a character in some ways. Uh, I still don't like him, (laughs) but I do think that that like takes the edge off of my dislike of him. I suppose that maybe he just didn't feel like he could talk to his wife about it openly because she wouldn't accept it. And it was easier just not to argue about it. Yeah. Um, I do still think that's kind of also a negative quality on his end that he can't just openly talk with his wife who should be like his partner. Amir Amir also says here that uh, 
in in Amir's view that he's either lying to Ronica and intends to delay and delay until Ronica gives up on settling down Althea or lying to himself mm, saying right. like oh yeah eventually she'll settle down but like he knows deep down she's never gonna settle down yeah you know so could be a little bit of lying to himself too right maybe not just purposely withholding from Ronica or anything yeah um, but it is definitely an interesting point of view. We also got a message from Gan who said that um, they also do not like Efron. So somebody on my side. <laughs> but the point that they made is that Efron is just very a, a very selfish person. And that's part of the dislike. And I think that's a really good way to phrase it. Um, and also as helpful as to like my own viewpoint of like what it is that I don't like. And I, I do think it is his selfish nature that is a little annoying that like he has a lot of privileges being a man and from an old trader family with a live ship, like that puts him in a place and he seems to kind of almost feel entitled to that. I'm sure just with how he like has carried on his life. He also raised a brat, which is not, looking great. <laughs> but I think mostly that he like is someone who like, yes, he is ahead of his time and that's great, but he doesn't really do anything to help people change opinions. It's like he seems to have his own set of morality that he like follows that like that is his version of like what's good and what's bad and it doesn't necessarily follow what everybody else is thinking um which does i mean he has a very morally gray character it's just very interesting um it's really hard <laughs> I, i'm hoping that i'm uh saying what gan was trying to say in a good way without putting too much of my own spit on it but um i think it's just very interesting uh, interesting perspective to think of it as more of like selfishness because he does kind of put his own happiness first yeah, and doesn't really care about helping others get to the happiness that he wishes for them. Mm -hmm. Um, so They also, though, Gan also had a point that um, it's been really interesting. It's really hard to tell from their perspective, who is a better father, Burek or, uh, Efren, that that's too hard. They're too, they're both trying their best and there's the scaling is hard to compare. So, um, I thought that was really funny and that like, that's part of the reason they like Robin Hobb is how well she writes characters and yeah. yeah. How much of it's, you know, gray yes. <laughs> and morality based on, you know, selfishness and, and other features and, and things in their lives and not just black and white. So it is very well done. Yes. So thank you, Gan, Jess, and Amir for those points. Yeah. And the last couple things on Amir's uh, topics in Instagram, just kind of wanted to cover a couple things because they didn't relate to Althea or <laughs> Yes, Efren. yeah. So we had some talks about the Ludlux. Yes. And like, we're just kind of bringing up the structure of the family because we didn't know too much. Right. And um, I remember Kenneth's father's name is Lucto. We brought up that and uh, Amir is talking about how you had mentioned that it was an unlucky name. Yes. <laughs> but apparently, and I f totally forgot about this, Amir reminds us that his nickname was Lucky Lucto. 
before he left and disappeared out yeah. of Bingtown. So, and also, as a reminder, the cocoon for the dragons or the serpents is the physical serpent spit and skill sand. So literally physical memories. Still right. doesn't quite tell me if they use the carcass in the lizard wood. I don't remember if it's like absorbed or if like they, I think they roll it out and like discard it, but yeah, I, I think they discard it. I don't think that there are like little dragon bones yeah. <laughs> throughout. <laughs> but also the last point that Amir brings up here is that Althea's adoration and confidence in her father fixing everything has a very yes. strong parallel with Malta believing Kyle will fix everything in book two. Yeah, that's a good point. Remember, that's a that was a big complaint of mine of just over and over. Oh, well, my dad's going to come back and fix everything. Like, yeah. he's going to have a ton of money and we're going to be fine. I can buy these fancy stuff. And, you know, it's part of what annoys me about Malta as well, because <laughs> obviously she's younger than Althea, but she doesn't move on past that enough, probably because... A friend dies right away, <laughs> so right. Althea doesn't have that to hold on to. But, <laughs> but either way, is it's a good point now that there is that parallel with a lot of the Vestrant women in the family. Yeah, I'm trying to look. Somebody also made a comment. Oh, I don't know who it was. I'm so sorry. Anyways, anyway, somebody also made a comment about how Althea, like one of the things that made Althea unbearable is partially probably due to how young she is that like being 19 is like such a strong age of self entitlement. (laughs) Like you're, you feel like you're an adult, like you know everything. And so you like feel so self sure. And that's like very real to real life. Most 19 year olds think that they know best. And there's also the thought that Melissa. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. This thought that, because she's 19, she doesn't realize how young she actually is yeah, and how there's... She's, she's still a child, but she's starting to take on those adult responsibilities, but doesn't have the context to, you know, put any of her life skills into focus. <laughs> right. Right. No. So I thought that was really interesting to think about how Malta and Althea really echo each, uh, echo each other, because I think they are both really young. I mean, obviously Malta younger is much younger, but... <laughs> There is just that sense of like the childishness of your dad can fix everything or your parent can fix everything. And you like, you know, what's best. The adults are, don't know anything. They're just trying to keep you from fun. (laughs) So thank you, Amir and Melissa. (laughs) And thank you everybody who has sent in emails and comments and thoughts. We always enjoy hearing them and we look forward to whatever you're going to bring to our attention for next week. 